It's really good to be here. It's hospitality, the sunshine, it's been great. Um, and I'm just thankful for your pastor and his love for you guys and trust in me to, to share the word with you guys this morning. So um, why don't we pray? Father, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your goodness. Um, God, we just count it an honor to be called by your name. Um, and it's for freedom that you've set us free. Um, and so your word is, is powerful. It has the ability to change lives and reorchestrate families and cities and communities. And so we just pray that your word would be alive and active and that we would be um, recipients of it and fall on good soil, Lord. And that, um, Lord, we long to see your kingdom. We want to see your kingdom come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going I'm to read the text. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read a portion of it, and then throughout uh, the sermon, I'll highlight other parts of the chapter. Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. Oh, and if you need a Bible, there are people here that will hand out Bibles. Am I correct? Yes. And then um, it'll be on the screen and the electronic device. All right. Um, Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel, in the communities of Israel, must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not take the meat raw, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head and legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you guys have been going through a series called Deliverance. You've been looking through the life of Moses and the people of God. Um, and, to, and to set the story up, we have to remember how, how we got here, how the people of God got here. And God had promised to Abraham long ago that he would make him a great nation 
that he would be a great people, that his people would cover this, the, the sea and the, and the land as, as sand and like stars in the sky. There'd be so many of them and that he would bless those who bless him. And then God also says those who opposed him and his people, they would get dealt with. That's just how he said it right there. Ice cube voice, get dealt with. Um, So the people of God begin to grow in Egypt. A pharaoh comes in that doesn't know who they are, and they are subjugated to slavery. This immigrant community is on a foreign soil, a home not theirs because they're not completely welcome there. And they are there to build up the empire, to build up the empire of Pharaoh, one of the most powerful empires on the planet at the time. And these Hebrew men and women and children will need a miracle to get out. So they cry out to God for over 400 years. 400 years they're crying out. And they're asking for for justice. They're asking for fair wages. They're asking to be treated and seen as human beings. And they're they're asking God to be pulled out of a system that's bent on profiting off these people. The system is dependent on their enslavement. And so these Hebrew people, there is a deep longing for freedom. There's a deep longing for freedom, though they've never experienced it. Because after 400 years, all you have is generations of slavery. And that's all that you know. But there's something deep within inside that says there's something better. There's something grander that they long for and they begin to cry out. Not silent, unspoken prayers. Cry out. Phyllis Wheatley um, was brought over at seven, eight years old as, from the West Africa as a slave in the Boston area. And she writes, she writes this. In every human beast, God has implanted a principle which we call love of freedom. It is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. And what, and what we're hearing from the people of God is pants for deliverance. They long for deliverance. There's something inside them that says freedom is what our bodies and our souls long for. The word deliverance, simple definition, freed, released, transferred or transmitted, passed from one to another, committed, yielded, Surrendered, rescued, uttered, proclaimed. God has uttered and proclaimed that they will be delivered, that they will be committed, they will be passed from one thing to another. And so right here in this story, this, this story of Passover, there's, there's a dual um, deliverance that's happening right here. The one, yeah, dual deliverance. The first one is that their firstborns will, will not die. They will be delivered from death, from the death angel. And the second one is, is release from slavery, release from Pharaoh. This Passover will mark the moment in which Pharaoh will say, man, you guys get out of here. You are free to go. And um, I think when we talk about freedom and redemption, it always sounds amazing on the outside, right? Oh, freedom and redemptive stories are feel-good stories, right? Like, we love those kind of movies. We love those kind of stories because it feels really good. We're like, oh, man, we get tingly and our hair stand up. We're like, man, that's amazing. Look what happened. They're free. And it sounds really awesome from afar as long as we don't have to experience it. 
right? We talk about uh, something that's happened for 400 years and we read it in, or watch the movie for two hours. And by then we're like, man, that was awesome. And, and you don't really feel, you can't really feel 400 years in a two hour movie unless it's really badly done. <laughs> I mean, that gotta be bad too, right? Ideally, we want the, the revolution or, or the story of how the divine deals with humans to be neat and clean. We want our stories of redemption to be neat and clean and nothing bad happens and no one gets hurt. That's just not the reality. It's, it's messy. It's complicated. It's painful. It's costly. It's mysterious. And I, and I just... I just know that there's some things that I'm just not going to completely understand on, on this side of life. There's some things that, that happen in the world or something that I read about historically where I, I can't completely understand God's ways and purposes in it right now, where I'm at in my flesh, in my age, and where I live. Anybody with me? And I, I think if we can hold that posture that, that maybe we can enter this story as a participant and not as an observer. And so that, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to enter this story as participants, not that I'm just trying to learn new things, but that I'm trying to understand and walk in the shoes of the people of God. You guys with me? All right, it's good. Stay with me. Um, God basically tells Moses this last plague is going to be the harshest. This last plague is going to be a doozy. All the firstborn will die. He tells him in Exodus 11:6. He says, there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there, ever ha- than there has ever been or ever will be again. This is what God tells Moses is coming. The Passover is an amazing story. It's just not G-rated. And some people try to make it a rated G story, and I get it, but it's not a G-rated story, but it's a great story of redemption. And those of us who who fight today for justice and equality and in the kingdom of God know that it's not easy. We know that our our battle for justice, even historically here in the U.S., has been messy, that it's been hard, and that it is hard even to this moment. And so Passover, the word um, comes out of the passage that we're reading. Verse 11, it says, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Then in verse 13, it says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, no destructive plague, will touch you when I strike Egypt. It's the Hebrew word, Pesach. And I'm saying it really bad because I went to Israel and I started quoting the Bible. They're like, you're saying everything wrong. So I understand that I'm saying it wrong and forgive me if you speak Hebrew. Um, All right. And what it means is, in addition to Passover, is to protect and to have compassion. And so if I read these verses again with those, like verse 11 is, eat it in haste, it is the Lord's protection. That takes on a whole new meaning. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will have compassion. Oh, Jesus, 
Right? You, read, you begin to read it in that light and you're like, oh man, this is, this, this Passover is not just God passing me over. Because I want to be passed over. Who wants to be passed over? Right? I want to be seen. Right? Anyways. <laughs> no, God is saying like, this is my protection for you. This is my compassion for you. This is my heart for the people. Passover is, is really the birth and the launch of a nation. It, if you read it from the beginning of the chapter, it's, it's basically reordering the Jewish religious calendar. If you, it's, it's, in the Jewish community, this is a, it's a month of redemption. So I live in, I live in Brooklyn, and I li- I'm surrounded by a large Jewish community. And I, and I see these festivals and celebrations throughout the year. They're a very big deal. I mean, the whole neighborhood is literally shut down for Passover. People have, the, the people of the Jewish faith have circled their lives around it, bent their lives around this event. So before this final plague, what, is, what God does here is he institutes a liturgical festival. And this festival, this basically this worship service is going to precede the saving event. And somebody's going to start picking stuff up and they're going to be like, man, that's, that's way better than how we're responding, but that's good. Like what, what God does is he sets worship in order before he saves. <sighs> yes, sir. Um, and what he does with this, he, he establishes a community meal. And, and if you read all through Exodus, he keeps saying, I'm going to make a distinction between you. I'm going to make a distinction between the people of God and the rest of the world. And everything he does here, it feels bizarre, but he's making distinction to show the world what the people of God is like. And so he, so he says, on the 14th day of the month, you're going to have this Passover festival. And following that 14th day, you're going to do seven days. They call the, the, the unleavened bread festival. And so Passover, and if some of you might have done this, it's a thing called a Seder. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a meal that, that reenacts the Passover. So it's like a progressive dinner, right? There's, there's singing, there's prayers, people are reading psalms, they're, they're telling the story of the people of God. And that inception is right here in Exodus 12. And if you've ever done one, what's really cool, they have, there's like four rounds of wine, right? It's a really nice touch. You're telling the story of God, you're having wine, you're celebrating what God has done. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to be able to celebrate and have joy and say, look what God has done. So around the Seder meal, this is what they're doing. And part of, part, another aspect of the meal is, is called unleavened bread. These guys, you have to eat unleavened bread and we call it matzah. And so it's literally bread with no yeast. And then the, they, they would make yeast bread with fermented dough that was, fermented dough is literally sourdough, right? You guys know about sourdough, right? So, imagine around the holidays, God says, no more sourdough for a week. That'd be a big deal, right? I mean, literally, we went to, the, we went to a mall and we saw a, a sourdough vending machine. And I was like, man, you guys are serious about your sourdough. So I remember one Sunday, this is not going to be deep at all, but um, I went to take communion at, at our church, and I, you know, I look really forward to it, not just because of what's done, because we use really good bread, right? 
we use Brooklyn artisanal bread. The water comes from the Hudson. You know what I mean? Like, it's really, it's powerful. It's very powerful. It's very. And um, one week it got switched out for matzah. And it, it, it really disrupted my life. And you're going to read in Deuteronomy, it's called the bread of affliction. And I get it. It's the bread of affliction because it's dry and it's hard. It doesn't go down sweet. You can't really dip it up with anything. Right, take communion. It doesn't really soak up the juice that great, right? Deuteronomy 16.3, do not eat bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. And you're saying this bread, this matzah, you don't make 11 because you know what, we got to make this quick and we got to go. So don't, this bread is to be eaten in haste because the Lord's about to bring deliverance. And I think one of the, more, one of the most difficult and um, pungent things is the bitter herbs. And I've, I've done a Seder and you have to, it's like horseradish. And it just, it just hits you and there's no pleasure in it, right? And it just, it stings and it, and it wakes up all your senses. So they had wine, grilled, they had grilled lamb. They had this flatbread and they had to mix it with bitter herbs. I love the imagery here because here's what I know, that grief and joy are often on the same block. Grief and joy are often on the same hospital floor in the same city. And God is going to topple this Egyptian empire and out of it is going to come beauty out of the ashes. See, for, for me, I, when I think of history, even this story, I just like, oh, I wish there wasn't slavery. Like, I, I did, I, I, when I think about my life, like, I wish I didn't have to go through the trials that I've gone through. I wish that my culture and my people didn't have to go through the, the things and the trials that they've had to go through and still go through t- to this day. And then there's a part of me that sits back and go, man, I could still see God's redemptive hand even in those trials. Beth, Beth Moore says this, nobody appreciates deliverance like those who've nearly been destroyed. And I, and I, and I, think, I, th- I think that's true for those of us who have touched the brink of death. Whether physically, spiritually, emotionally, when you've been on the cusp of destruction and you get rescued, there's a whole other perspective on what you went through. And this picture is, is kind of Passover. This picture right here is Passover. It's God's provision and protection out of a life of tears. I, I took Passover with the Jewish friend and the, it's, the, the, the herbs are, are salty and they're bitter. And he said, they're to remind you of the tears. They're to remind you of your hardship. See, because when we talk about deliverance, is you're being delivered from something to something. You're going from slave to free. My, my family and friends, after, after I got saved a little later in life and was going off to a pretty predominantly white evangelical college, well, most of them are, and they're just like, it's fine. <laughs> they would say, remember where you came from. 
don't forget where you came from. And really what they're saying is stay black. <laughs> don't get it. The Jesus thing is cool, just don't go too far. No, not seriously, but my, my mom is great at reminding me of my past. She's great at reminding me of, of our story as she immigrated here from Jamaica and did all she could as a single mom to make it. And she reminds us of our story. And see, what God is doing here in Passover is he's creating a people. He's creating a covenant community, and he sets up this time of worship for us, for the people of God to ponder where they're coming from, to think about where they're coming from and where they're going. And so to do that, you got to be honest. You got to be introspective, and you got to be humble. If not, these messages will be no good for you. If you don't reflect on where you've came from and seen how God's rescued you, this whole series is not going to make any sense to you. This series won't resonate with you. If you feel like right now, I don't need anything, I just need to add Jesus on to a couple little parts of my life, this story of deliverance won't have the impact on you that it should. You'll learn some information, but you won't be delivered. You won't be changed. I know this, many of us think there are big problems out there and there's with, their problems are with other people and that I'm not the problem and that if something actually goes wrong in my life, I could fix it, I could deliver myself. I actually have enough in the bank to take care of it. I'm actually smart enough to work myself out. I actually, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm pretty good. That, that's not the story of the people of God. That's not how the story of what Jesus says, how he transfers us from the, from, the, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That means that he took us out of something that was on the cusp of destruction and saved us and gave us life. And that's the description of what it means to be saved. Amen. And so if you think, I'm actually kind of saving myself. I'm just here because it looks good on my resume and there's really nice people here. There's so much more to it. And there's so much more that God wants to save you and deliver you from. Amen. This is what God is known for, the God who saves. The God, the God who saves. And if you don't need rescuing, maybe you don't need to put the blood on your doorpost. See, those who recognize that they needed freedom, submitted to God's way and God's plan. Hashtag God's plan. <laughs> Gotta break it up a little bit, it was getting serious for a minute. <laughs> when you recognize that you need freedom, you're like, God, I'm yours. And they submitted to what God wanted to do. So they had to sacrifice the best lamb they had. It might have been all their money, all their resources. They sacrificed the best lamb they had. They cleared out all the yeast from their house. They ate these herbs. They burned up all the leftover meat. Can you imagine all that wheat meat being wasted? They burned up all that leftover meat. They drained the blood and they brushed it on the entrances to their homes. And what God is doing, God is teaching his people how to trust him. He's teaching them how to trust them. He's teaching them how to worship. Because that's been hijacked and coerced by the Egyptian gods. The Hebrew people right now are displaying obedience to God in the face of oppression and uncertainty. And that act of doing that is worship. 
They, they, what they're doing by putting the blood on the doorpost, cooking this meat, eating these herbs, they're saying, we put all our trust in God to deliver us. They're saying, we believe that God is going to deliver us. We've, we're actually not hedging our bets. We're putting it all on God. Some of us hedging our bets. We're like, got a little bit of this, got a little bit of this. If God shows up, I win. But the odds are a little better now because I spread out my bets. Come on, y'all been to Vegas before? I'm just joking. <laughs> Pretty Jesus stays. They're, they're putting it all on God. See, up until this point, um, when, when the, the other nine plagues, they didn't really have to do anything to avoid them. And this plague is the one where God is asking them to participate in the deliverance. He's asking them to participate. And because now is the time. God, this is what God is saying. Like Dave said last week, enough's enough. And God is saying, it's time. I'm ready. Are you? I'm ready to move. Are you ready to go? That's what he says in Exodus 12, 11. He, he, He's basically saying, if you participate in this meal, then lace up and be ready to go all the way. Right? He's like, tuck your tunic in, do all that. I mean, he's saying, like, gird yourself. Like, get ready. Like, because you're taking this on the go. You're not taking this to stop. You're taking this because I'm about to do something. I'm moving you somewhere. So take this and be ready to go. And it takes courage to take that meal and go. Because it's actually really hard to leave what you've become accustomed to, even though you've been asking freedom from it. And what God is saying is there's got to be some urgency from the people of God because I'm here responding to what you've asked for. Now I'm ready to go. And we can become subtly comfort, subtly comfortable in the empire. Here's what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of the blood that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Bondage does not want to let you go. It violently takes a hold of you and, and, does, and that's why it's called a stronghold and doesn't want to let you go. So that means freedom won't come casually. You're just not going to casually get free. The gods of Egypt of the empire won't relent until something greater than them topples them. Until something greater than them is unleashed. And this is what God tells Moses in Exodus 3. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. The empire for generations has suppressed, oppressed, preyed on. And they try to break the hope of Israel by killing all their firstborn sons. Slavery is coerced, fear-based, worship to the gods of Egypt. And God is saying, I'm going to break that hold on your lives right now. 
So what God is doing is he's putting Egypt on notice, putting them on notice. And he said, I'm going to show you who has all power. Hallelujah. I'm going to show you who's king of kings and lord of the lords. So Exodus 12, 29 through 30 says, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on a throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. This was the, the final humiliating blow to someone who thought they were God. And all who think they are God and all who stand in opposition of God, God always humbles. Jesus says, one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And his, whether it's Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or, the, or Babylon, that God, though it feels like the people of God are in a losing battle, shows up and shows who's the real God, who really has power. During the night, verse 31, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up. Leave my people, you and all, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. Pharaoh finally relents. And he says exactly what God wants to do. He wants to liberate his people to worship. The people of God, things, you can tell how things are going by how well their worship's going. If they're, if they're being obedient and worshiping the Lord... God is blessing. Man, the calves are fat, milk and honey's flowing, the, the guards of their, of their gates are, the bars of their gates are strengthened. But then when their worship is submitting to the culture, compromising to practical needs, compromising to what feels good to themselves, what seems good in their own eyes, then God like lifts his hand to show them how much they need him. Because he's trying to cultivate a people, he's trying to cultivate worship. And so God is telling Moses that they need to mark this day. And he goes on in verse 26 and he says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron. And they did just what the Lord commanded. They obeyed. Our worship is connected to our deliverance. See, God didn't just break the hold of Pharaoh and just say, all right, just go, do your thing. Because if he just broke the hold of Pharaoh and that's it, another oppressor would have came along and enslaved them. He breaks the hold of Pharaoh and then he brings them in as his covenant community and say, I'm your God. Now you're coming to me. He leads them to himself. What does he do with this 
Passover festival. What is he doing this Passover festival? He's saying, this day should, ne should never be forgotten. This is why he's setting this up. Because he's saying, this day should never be forgotten. A matter of fact, this day should be your most defining moment of your life. This, you, this should define who you are as a person, who you are as a family, who you are as a community. That we have been rescued. We have been freed. We have been delivered from our oppressors, from slavery. One commentator says this. The point of the word remember in Hebrew is not simply a, recollect, a recollection of an event, but a reliving of it, a reactivating of its significance. In covenant ritual, remembrance or memorial designed to prompt God and worshiper alike to act in accordance with the covenant. In other words, our, our liberation must be remembered by replication of the event. You see, every year, you're going to take this time and you're going, to, you're going to put yourself back into the moment of when God delivered you, when I passed over you and saved you and made you my people. You're not just going to be like, oh yeah, that event happened. You're going to eat the bread. You're going to eat the herbs. You're going to drink the wine. You're going to eat the meat. And you're going to remember that, that, that God has brought you from a place of tears and sorrow into a place of joy. And I love, I love what Jesus does here. We'll get ready to close. In Luke 22, he says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Exodus is, is for today. Exodus is a great story about what God has done, who God is, and it points to the future of a grander deliverance. Hebrews says that we have one greater than Moses. Yes. Come on, man. We have somebody greater than Moses who's here. If the story of Moses was meant to be commemorated and relived, and you got to put your life back into it every day and tell your kids, can you imagine? How the response should be when Jesus says, man, break this. Man, this is for you. Yes. Yeah. One greater than Moses here. Amen. Christ, it says in Corinthians, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Lambs are precious, treasured, commodity. God gives his son because freedom's not cheap. And out of his great love, he gives his son his Passover lamb. And he says, man, don't, re don't, re don't forget the moment that my son came in and changed your life. <laughs> don't go through the motion and just go through the procession, the festival, and don't let it not hit you. 
And we got to mark the moments of where God showed up and freed us. We got to write it down. We got to mark it down because He's saying this is important. This is what we got to fashion our lives around. This is what we're going to anchor our lives and our identity and our worth in. The fact that Jesus Christ set us free. So here's my invitation. One, come to the table. Come to the table. And here, here's the requirements. A readiness to let the festival to define your life in the world. And, the, and the, the challenge is don't harden your heart. Wherever you're at, I want you to know that, that God hears your cry. That God always hears the cries of his people. Let them know what you need. You need to be freed from something. You need to be delivered from something. Have you let the story get stale? Do you need to relive it? When we realize what we've been freed of, then we can be a blessing to others. So I'm just going to pray for, for courage. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. I'm going to pray that when you take this, this cup and eat this bread, that you are reliving the moment that Jesus Christ set you free. And if you did, I've never really experienced that, then there'll be people up here to pray with you. Just say, I, 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 I want that for my life. Amen? Yeah. Carpets are open. Prayers going to happen. Worship's going to happen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you love us deeply. Thank you that we're seen by you. Thank you that you are a God, not just of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Your, your, your grace is lavish and it's deep and nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you for the stories of redemption that are represented in this room, the stories of redemption that you are weaving in our lives. And God, we just say we worship you, Jesus, the, the Passover lamb. Thank you that you've saved us and thank you that we have hope for something grander and better to come, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you, we welcome you to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.